Today on CityCast Denver, it's only been 10 months since Meow Wolf opened their latest massive immersive art exhibit, Convergence Station, here in Denver, and they recently marked two major milestones. One, they welcomed their one millionth visitor last month. And two, earlier this week, Meow Wolf workers announced that the age of the starving artist is over because they're forming a union. Me and Bree have both been itching to talk about this, so we invited Denver Post arts reporter and critic John Wenzel to help us sort it all out. Oh, and a programming note. We're taking a much-needed week off next week, so we'll be rerunning some of our favorite episodes, and we'll be back with new stuff and a big project we've been working on later this month. Today is Friday, July 8th, 2022. I'm Paul Caroli, and this is CityCast Denver. Welcome back to CityCast Denver, the show about the wasteland left behind by thousands of hippies known as the Rainbow Family. Or the Drainbows. Yeah, what is that, Bree? <laughs> the Rainbow Family Gathering happened in Colorado last weekend. Do you want to say like what this is, like what happened? So Jason Blevins wrote a great piece for Colorado Sun. He painted a very clear picture of the Rainbow Gathering, which was this thing that people online were very concerned about. But I would say from his descriptions, the Rainbow Family, it's at its core, are pretty cool people that just want to be off the grid for a week or two and create a little micro society and they all have functions and jobs like cooking and cleaning and fire management and stuff but i read in his piece that they call folks that show up to the festival and don't contribute they call them drainbows so those are like to me like the festy people that are just like let's go do drugs and party in the forest, but like yeah. don't want to be part of the ecosystem that the Rainbow Family creates You're for right. a week. Right, right. So, not all Rainbow Gatherers are drainbows. <laughs> I want to be clear. Such an interesting community. Such an interesting thing that exists. That Rainbow Family. I would love to read a book about that. Someday. Yeah, it was fascinating to me. It sounded cool. Uh, well, we are back in the Lindy Zimmer studio at Westward. It's Friday. We're talking about the news of the week, and we are very lucky to have a guest today with us, John Wenzel, reporter and critic for the Denver Post. John, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Paul. And John, we wanted to invite you on the show because you broke a big story this week about the business of art in this town. This is one of Bree's favorite topics, so we knew we had to dig into this one. It's all about Meow Wolf. Do you want to just tell us like what happened here with Meow Wolf this week? Yeah, so I'll start by saying I didn't break it. It was Alex DeVore of the Santa Fe Reporter. Locally, you broke it. Locally, yeah. But he's been on them, uh, you know, covering them comprehensively for a while, as have people in um, other publications in New Mexico. But I have a relationship, professional relationship, with the Meow Wolf Workers Collective, just because I've reported on them before. So they reached out to me, their, their lead organizer on the Denver campaign, Milagro Padilla, and just shared... The fact that they were trying to form a union for the Denver workers, um, having successfully negotiated a contract that was ratified in April by the Santa Fe Union, which is where they're based. So the news is coming off of that. They shared with me that they're forming a Denver union and some of the reasons why. And yeah, it turned a, a lot more interesting than it started. 
Hmm. You're making a face, John. Yes. What were their concerns or what did they share with you? Well, the union wanted to push for some of the same things they got in Santa Fe. And the company would tell you that they got all those things and that Denver and Las Vegas, which is where they have another mm-hmm. installation called Omega Mart, they would want you to say, as they wanted me to say in the article, that it's all gravy. But Milagro and folks at the Communications Workers of America feel that they are owed more. And so they want additional uh, benefits, protections. I would have to go down the list that was in the press release. But it's it's somewhat standard stuff, but it's also stuff they feel like they're not getting, a workplace free of discrimination and harassment. That has been an issue with Meow Wolf in the past. I mean, there's been stories In the past, yeah. Meow Wolf would argue that's an outdated view of them. Um, Mm -hmm. And in some ways it is. They've had a lot of leadership turnover and tweaks to their path, but... You know, long story short, the union, once they're officially formed and they notify Meow Wolf of it, just kind of wants the same things all unions have. And they feel like the Denver workers are are not getting better wages, job security, you know, potential to move up, stuff like that. Right. And this definitely is a different Meow Wolf than like it was five years ago, of course. I mean, this is a company that started as a, a DIY group of artists and a warehouse in Santa Fe. And now it's this national arts organization that employs hundreds and hundreds of artists, including here in Denver. And so, Brian, I don't know. Let's go to you. I mean, when you heard about this story, that I think that was what we were talking about was this new moment. What was your first response? I mean, I think it's incredible. We see unions happening in other realms of the arts, you know, stagehands unions, folks that are behind the scenes um, on theater productions, even, you know, actors. So it wasn't a surprise, but to me, it's a cool move because it says, you know, there's this ongoing conversation about the economic impact of the arts in Denver. And I've long been a critical eye of that proclamation as this magical thing that's happened here because I know artists every day who don't have things like dental insurance, Mm -hmm. you know, or can't pay their rent. And so... If we're really seeing these economic boons and benefits coming to Denver via the arts, are the artists and the people behind the scenes benefiting from that as well? And so when we see something like a movement to a union, that's like coming out of the shadows a little bit. That's saying like we are a part of this economy. And since we're being recognized because you're making money off of us, we should have the same rights as those folks up in the CEO's towers. And so to me, I think it's. Uh, an incredible move. I fully support the Meow Wolf employees forming a union. Hmm. John, how about you? Do you feel like this is a new era, a new phase? I know that was the big line from this workers collective. As with everything, Meow Wolf is associated with beautifully graphically designed Instagram post announcing (laughs) the union. Right. They said um, the age of the starving artist is over. Mm -hmm. Such a provocative statement. Kind of unbelievable to me, honestly. I feel like that's just inherent in being an artist personally. But what do you think? Is this is the age of the starving artist over? No, it's still very much alive, sadly, as Bree said. Most artists in Denver, the majority of working artists, the overwhelming majority, cannot afford to live here, have been gentrified out of their studios and spaces. And, you know, I, I think the Meow Wolf question is complicated. They're not like an evil company. They employ a lot of artists and artists make money from them. A lot of good, very legit artists. So that creates more of an economy, I would argue, in this town. Now, are they a select class of people? In some ways, but, you know, that exhibit is going to evolve. 
Now, on the other hand, that class, is is that a creative class that is touchable by, by most artists? It doesn't seem so at the moment. So the, the competition is fiercer and kind of more national. Not to denigrate Denver's art scene, but Meow Wolf has a national view and they want national, quote unquote, national quality artists. So yeah, I think the creative economy is still very complicated and hard to navigate. And Meow Wolf, I think honestly, overall is probably helping that. But can artists survive here? Most of them, no. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, and I do want full disclosure, my husband has a room in Meow Wolf, so he has been paid by Meow Wolf to create one of the installations there. Yeah. Would I argue that I think that they should have been paid more to do that? I would argue that because I've seen the financials. He wouldn't necessarily argue that. I'm not speaking for him. But something that you kind of touched on here, John, is that Denver is now attractive to entities like Meow Wolf. People want to build here and do things here. And that is to a benefit to the artists a lot because for instance, this podcast we're on exists because Denver seemed like a viable market. Would it be a viable market 10 years ago? Maybe not, but we're competing with big cities now Mm -hmm. for attention, but also for those international artists that want to have their art in Denver. And that to me says, Denver's doing really cool things if people want to come here. But it's that balance you're talking about. We still are unaffordable for the majority of folks and artists are part of that part of Denver that's getting pushed out. Yeah. And so it makes it very complicated if they can't make competitive wages to stay here and make the things that people come to Denver to see me out. If I went to um, Las Vegas to see Omega Mart, mm-hmm. it was awesome. It was super fun. I've been to Santa Fe to see House of Eternal Return. I love what Meow Wolf does, but I think because they are tapping into this economy of formerly all underground artists, they have a lot of weight on their shoulders to figure out how to do this right. Yeah, and it's a big responsibility and they haven't always done it right. But I do think most people there are trying to do the right thing. That didn't feel like the case this week. There were some miscommunications with them or lack of communication. Wait, tell us about that. Yeah, so so I was leaked some documents that apparently were just sitting out on a printer. And they were either prepared or approved by a legal counsel for Meow Wolf. They would not officially authenticate them. However, uh, several employees I talked to on background did. Uh, my source is credible. Um, I have no reason to believe these are fake. So this, some of the stuff Milagro, the lead Denver organizer, complained to me about would appear to be confirmed somewhat in these documents. He spoke of union busting efforts. Mm. Some of the language in it is, to my eyes, coercive, guilt inducing about people being interested in this. I, I quoted some of it online in the article and in my tweets, but it's like, quote unquote, this subject makes us really uncomfortable to talk about. This is a script. This, for, this is the higher ups at Meow Wolf talking about the union effort. This right? is a script for managers to follow in mandatory one-on-one meetings, or as uh, the union calls them, captive audience meetings. And so the script hmm. you know, suggests, quote unquote, suggests things like, would you consider doing this without outside legal counsel or a third party? How do you think this is going to help you? And I generally am pro-union. I belong to the Communications Workers of America, I should say. But I also have written positively a lot about Meow Wolf, and I don't have any kind of personal grudge against them. I just think, as, as, 
as your podcast has done, as other news media in this town has done, you have to hold them to account because they come in, they invest millions of dollars in the city in different ways. But um, they should be held to account for what they do. And a lot of this, I feel like, is coming from the top. I feel Mm -hmm. like the people here in Denver, the artists, the contract workers, they're not the ones saying these things. And Meow Wolf has had a succession of CEOs. And the new one is from CBS uh, Viacom, I think it is. Mm -hmm. So... It's a different world. It's not the arts world. Mm. (laughs) I just am laughing thinking if you had told me that a DIY organization, a a collective of folks would be run by a guy from Viacom. I would be like, are you kidding me? But this is where art is in the economy in 2022. And it's like you're saying, John, it's I feel you. We've tried to hold Meow Wolf to account. We've also had really lovely experiences there. Yeah. And we've the folks that we deal with on the ground every day at Meow Wolf are awesome. So yeah, it's 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 complicated. You yeah. know, all art needs patrons and right. all art needs patronage. And we look at them the same way we look at Denver Art Museum or anything like that. But maybe even harder because they're not a nonprofit and they don't get SCFD help. They're there to make money. And they would, you know, readily admit that even though they're a B Corp. But um they they do wonderful things like Denver Art Museum, and sometimes they don't. And we have a New York Times freelancer who was our former fine art critic and still freelances for us, Ray Mark Rinaldi. He did a critical review of it, written critically about it, but I've also been criticized for writing too much and too positively. So that tells me I'm on the right <laughs> path here. <laughs> as as you all know, that, that often tells you you're doing the right thing in news media is if everybody hates you, then you're not beholden to a viewpoint. <laughs> I needed to hear that. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> that said, Meow Wolf wants to talk. They didn't want to talk when I wrote the article. They didn't respond to any specific questions, provided me with a corporate statement. And now they want to talk. They shared with me a email they sent internally criticizing my article. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. And just, you so know. So they do want to do an interview with you now. I think they want to be transparent. I don't know if it's on the record or not. But I, yeah, and I'm willing to talk. I'm always here. I'm always accountable for my own stuff. But they should have talked. I, I, ideally, in to. my opinion, yeah, someone should have responded. So. I, I think they're acting like a big corporation in some ways, and that's what the union is concerned about. And um, they provided a lot of examples of past, you know, what they call union busting. Mm-hmm. And they've changed. They've, they've evolved in some ways, but not in other ways, it mm-hmm. seems to me. So one thing I, I want to follow up on, I mean, in your story, you said that it's unclear if the company is going to recognize the union or not. How do you expect that dynamic to play out? I mean, we've been talking about labor and unions all year, and I still don't really understand like if a company is compelled to recognize a union or if it's a choice or what the implications are. Can you explain is what what is what are the discussions happening right now? So right now, the Meow Wolf Workers Collective has apparently, according to Meow Wolf, not given them official notice of the union. And until that happens, for whatever reason, because they're playing dumb or because their legal counsel told them they act like it doesn't exist. They say, we've not been notified. We have nothing to say about it. I'm sure people there knew this was coming, some people. And the union's ask is that Meow will voluntarily recognize them. Now, sometimes you have to be legally compelled to voluntarily recognize something. Hmm. And when the Santa Fe Collective was proposed, I think it was a couple of years ago, Meow Wolf balked. They said, we respect and recognize our employees' right to organize, which is what they always say. That's how they lead off every statement about this. But we do not think a union is necessary right now. That's very nice language for saying no union. And so they they pushed them, they negotiated for over a year. 
And finally, in February, the collective filed a National Labor Relations Board complaint. And lo and behold, the next month, they had a contract that they ratified. So the Meow Wolf Workers Collective has said that they will do the same thing if the company fails to voluntarily recognize them. They'll file again with the NLRB. Um, and, and they'll need to get like a certain amount of the employees or a certain percentage. That's on right. Board. And they actually have already gotten the majority of Denver hourly workers to sign okay. cards signaling their intent to join the union. They had that support two years ago, hmm. but it wasn't quite as official. So to answer your question more specifically, you know, I think we're still in the early phases of this. But the next step would be for them to officially notify Meow Wolf that they are organizing, they would like to be voluntarily recognized, and here are their concerns. And then they'll go from there. But in a PR sense, it's in Meow Wolf's best interest to address this quickly and transparently. And it would be a win for the union for them not to have to fight them to get recognition. Will that happen? Who knows? It's pure speculation, but their track record is mixed on that. John, you said this includes hourly workers. So that's like custodial folks, maintenance, ticket takers. Does this include artists in any capacity? I haven't dug that deep and specific, but okay. I know the Santa Fe tract that they ratified covers some artists. They might be um, full-time. Meow Wolf doesn't have a ton of full-time artists. On staff, They're mostly yeah. contract. And their big fabrication facility in Santa Fe, I think, is staffed full-time uh, by full-time employees. And that's a lot of workers. I think the Denver location, Convergence Station, has about 200 workers, mm -hmm. all told. So, yeah, I believe it does cover them. And that those are the people that make that place run. Yeah. The hosts, the actors, the custodial staff, as you said, maintenance, food, all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, that's the stuff that makes it into like a real business that's an attractive place for people like, you know, my parents are in town. They're probably in line right now. I'm just seeing yeah. the time. I think they're visiting this morning <laughs> as we speak. Well, um, and I think it's just important too to those aren't folks aren't separate from the artists to me in my mind. They're people that make art happen. Mm -hmm. And that's always how it's been. There's always been people behind the scenes making art happen. So it's a cool thing to me that we have this union that's sort of bridging maybe a little bit of that, the artist and the worker, and there can be one in the same. You know? Yeah, and They're to important. be fair, it's it's an interesting job. Those roles have to be filled by somebody or else that place can't operate. And if I were a young person and it didn't matter that I was being paid less than it costs to live in Denver, which is pretty much everybody in Denver, um, I would be thrilled to work there. You totally. Meowulf would point out, their, the Santa Fe uh, efforts resulted in some permanent things that, that they do think uh, Las Vegas and Denver's covered by. Minimum $60,000 a year, stuff like that. Enhanced parental leave. So does that apply to everyone there? Not everyone's going to need it, but the union's going to fight for even more um, protections and job upgrades, <laughs> so, totally. to, so to speak. Well, here's, here's what I think is going to really matter to most people out there. I mentioned my parents, but them included, like people like my parents who aren't really keyed into the economics of the art world. How is this going to affect the art, the product itself? Is it going to get better? Are artists going to feel more freedom? Are they going to feel more security to do, take bigger risks? What do you, John, what do you think? I know that's a big question. Yeah. I mean, again, there's 
a lot of speculation there, but I think the company likes to think of itself as a family, as a creative, open place. And for a lot of people, for maybe even most people, it is. But I think that there's increasingly striated levels here. That's probably a mixed metaphor. But, you know, there's the art, which is its own kind of beautiful and creative thing. And they don't seem to put hardly any limits on the stuff that um, people submit or create. But then there's business concerns. They said they lost $50 million, I believe, in 2022. They laid off half their employees, furloughed another 56. Um, And they're back to making revenue. You know, I think they made 38 million last year, according to the New Mexican. But uh, are they financially stable after hundreds of millions in investments over the past five years? I don't know. They play that stuff close to the vest. Again, they would say that's an outdated view of the company. But I think it's relevant here because it shows their outside relations. Investors have complained about forced buyback of shares. So it's kind of a bumpy evolution for, as Bree said, what started out as a very underground DIY arts collective with roots in Denver, with roots at Rhinoceropolis, and now it's a huge corporation. Bree, what's your take on that same question? What do you think this is gonna do for uh, for the the art, I, I mean? I don't know if it'll have that much of an impact because really what it comes down to is how much funding Meow puts towards those installations that the artists actually get to put in their proposals for. So again, my husband Greg and his collaborative partner Kaylin Heffernan built the wheelchair space kitchen, which is inside Meow Wolf. If you go through the Sun Valley bus on C Street and walk to the back, there's a wheelchair accessible sign and take a right and you can go right in there. But I watched them go through that process for like three years. So their original concept, what they submitted, all the adjustments they had to make for OSHA. I mean, it's very, it's a construction site, right? How they had to account for how much money they were spending on the kinds of materials that they could use that would be long lasting because hundreds of people are touching these pieces of art every day. So I, I just don't know. That seems very separate to me from this conversation, which is like, Meow Wolf probably has a separate budget for what they spend on the art and the artists. In the long run, it, Could it impact how much of their budget goes to art? Maybe. But at the end of the day, that's the attraction. Hmm. So that's probably where they put a lot of their money is in the art. That's the quote unquote content. That's the content. That's the pool, (laughs) the the fish tank you are immersed in. Yes, is the art. (laughs) The the immersive art. The immersive (laughs) aspect of it. So yeah, I, I don't know if this would impact it at all. If anything, I mean... It's interesting from an artist's perspective, again, looking at my husband, Greg and Kaylin, they're both um, advocates for labor rights and workers' rights outside of being artists. So this was exciting to them, I think, to say, look at how union organizing can even happen in our art world. Mm -hmm. So to me, the long-term effects of it could be really cool to see artists really feel empowered to fight for better pay overall, because that's been a long time problem. Like the Meow Wolf Collective posting the, this age of the starving artist is over or whatever. And Paul, you said you disagreed. You think that, you know, that'll always be part of it. I would love for it not to be. I mean, I would love for art to be a viable economic thing that folks can go into and not have to be expected to be poor forever till they get their big break or whatever. Yeah. Hello, yeah. Canada. I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Places that put or Sweden that put money into the arts in a different yeah. way so people can live and not have to have a second job to pay their bills yeah. while also making the art that they really want to make. 
I think that's what gets to the heart of this, though, is when you overlay the art conversation onto the union conversation, you have to think about what are the effects of unions, you know, and the, the heads of Meow Wolf were thinking like, okay, so in the past, looking at the data in aggregate, what is it, what does unionizing have? What, what effect does that have on a company? They're not going to have more profits. They're going to be spreading that money around more equally. That's where the the profit is going to go. So, like, yeah, but where was that profit going before? Well, to the, the, few, the investors, the pockets. owners, the CEOs, for sure. But it, I think what it's going to do is it's going to draw a line somewhere and say, above the line, this is this is job. This is a quote unquote job. Below the line, you might have some contract work, or you might have that like you do your art and you get to like have it in a space, but it's maybe not a job for you. So I don't know. I think it's a difficult balance thinking about the long-term growth of the company versus what, what qualifies as good, a good enough job for an artist. Like, and I think it's really, really gr tricky and gray in there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I think they're in an interesting period right now because it has been a while. It, they, you know, would like us to leave this in the past, but they had a couple of discrimination lawsuits, one, in, one here, one in New Mexico, one, one might, might have had a fair pay element. And uh, they would say that's in the past. They settled them out of court. You can't draw conclusions from that, but they want to keep their image very nice and, and rainbowish. And uh, for the most part, I think they can justify that, but the bigger you get, the slower you move. The more circumspect you get, the more lawyers in, are involved. And that's something I've sensed about the company in the at least five years I've been covering them, maybe more, um, is that they've just become a bigger, kind of more modular beast in some ways. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, are they worse than an oil company? I mean, they're very progressive in their values, and I think they've been held to account and pushed to be even more so um, by the Santa Fe Union and some of these employee efforts. Mm -hmm. You're also dealing with art, like you're not dealing with oil, right? Yeah. Art is a form of protest. Art is the way that we talk about ourselves and move history forward. If you are going to bank on art, if you're going to make money on art, it's going to come with all the things that make it complicated. It's kind of how I feel about developers utilizing quote unquote graffiti or street art to sell their buildings, which I'm not talking shit to the artists that get commissioned to do those pieces on big buildings because hey take that money it's going to go somewhere but you can't contain or control the fact that graffiti is a street art conversational protest it's a people's art and there's no way to make it clean and sterile and corporate yeah. and so this is the same kind of thing to me is like you're bringing artists into this space and putting all these regulations around them but also paying them you're still not going to be able to totally control what they do because if you do then art's really boring but another thing i want to point out hmm. paul is that the union is not just about the economics it's about better working conditions for people and any art i'm thinking as a musician um, if there were these kinds of protections in place for me as a quote unquote female musician, I've been discriminated against at venues by venue promoters. I've been talked to terribly. I've been sexually harassed by the people that have to pay me. I mean, there's all these things that could be ideally solved with unions too, because I would have had the power to say, oh, sorry, you can't do that. You can't say that to me. And so I also see unions as this bigger conversation about advancing how we treat each other in society. Yeah. 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 And it's not perfect. Some people would debate whether unions really serve totally their, their people or they slow things down and complicate them. And in this, Paul, as you 
referenced in this time of, you know, rising workers' rights and leverage from post or later days of not post, but yeah. <laughs> later days of the pandemic here. I, I think they do have a little more uh, leverage because they're also pleading their case uh, to the public. And that's not my role is to argue for or against them. But um, it is it tends to be effective because they don't want the bad publicity. Yeah. Yeah. Well, gosh, I mean, that's a whole nother thing, too. This like broader labor organizing this moment we're in. Yeah. It seems like there's a recession coming. So like, I I don't know, smarter people than me are going to figure out what's happening and give you some better analysis of the (laughs) housing bubble. (laughs) You know, you're the second person who's invoked that in the last couple of weeks on the show. Um, Just keep a running tally. Anyway. So I think we should probably wrap up here. We could go all day on this topic, but I want to end with some recommendations for people to go and enjoy some of the beautiful art that is being made in this city every day. Bree, John, who wants to go first? I'll go. Um, originally on this show, we were going to have John and my friend Thaddeus Mile join us, who is a co-curator at Understudy, which is a city-funded gallery space uh, on the outside of the convention center on 14th street that showcases up and coming artists and also pays them to create installations there, which is super cool. There's one running this, uh, month through the month of July by an artist named Brenton Seasway Zola. And he's a performance artist as well as a photographer. And you can go and see his work at understudy. It's open Thursday through Sunday from 12 to six, um, every weekend. And then at the end of the month, he'll be doing a live performance there as well. And, uh, understudy is free and open to everyone. It is all ages and it is a lovely space. (laughs) Beautiful. Beautiful. That sounds awesome. John, how about you? I'm really invested in in free ways to see art, as uh, I think we all are, as Brie definitely is. And there's a lot of great galleries. You can throw a dart and hit several galleries in the Golden Triangle area or up and down the art district on Santa Fe or East Colfax or the what is it called? The 40... Arts? 40 West. 40 West. That's right. Yes. Which which I love. I Sorry for Wait, what is 40 West? I don't know. 40 West it's in Lakewood. Is, is, yeah, yeah, it's like the West Colfax area arts district. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like galleries that have moving. been a handful of galleries that have been gentrified out of Denver have moved there, and it's is that kind where of a chalk growing. is going. Yep, chalk yeah. has moved there. Chicano mm-hmm. Humanities and, and Arts, Arts Council. Council. Yeah, okay. there are some great free opportunities. You know, just walk around, see what grabs your eye in a window. But if if you want to see really heavily curated stuff, you know, museums big and small have local artists, whether it's MCA and Denver Art Museum or um, Redline, which is one of my favorite galleries. I love they Redline. pay and support um, local artists. They produce a lot of, you know, internationally known names in the art world. Um, So, yeah, I I would absolutely support these places that are nonprofits that get funding from SCFD, which is our tax district that supports arts and culture. I also just love taking like, you know, self-guided city tours of public art. We have a fantastic, again, literally world-renowned public art collection. Some of it's because of DIA and conspiracy theories. But even in the city here. they got a big tax base, so they get all the fun stuff. (laughs) Yeah, it it helps that we have, I think, a 1% or 2% for art thing for city projects. But yeah, I mean, I would just encourage people to look up Denver Arts and Venues. They put a lot of money and time towards supporting free art tours and stuff at the McNichols Civic Center building. There's always multiple free exhibits there. So the city is quite invested in the art scene here, as are obviously the nonprofit galleries. And in my opinion, they're all getting better. And there's just tons of them. 
Hmm. And I, I'm sorry, one thing I want to mention, Brenton Zola's show at Understudy is also in conjunction with the Colorado Black Arts Festival that's happening this weekend at City Park. It is free Saturday and Sunday. Um, it's a great way to learn about artists of color here in Colorado. And it's been around for over 30 years. So yeah. just also something else to do it's, if you want to go out in in the sun and enjoy the park and some art. Yeah, it's I, I love seeing that. Like Juneteenth had detour this year, had a quote-unquote activation on a kind of a disused lot that I think the organizer owns. And they had uh, the world-famous muralist, Detour, who's based in Denver there. There's the Black Love Mural Festival. So yeah, these things are wonderfully expanding. Yeah, and ubiquitous through our summer months, which is when I really, one of the things I love about summer here in Colorado is our arts festival options. So check out the Colorado Black Arts Festival. All right, well, John, Bree, thanks so much for joining me. This was so much fun. Thanks for having me. Thanks, guys. That's all for the week here on CityCast Denver. Our producers this week were me, Paul Caroli, Carly Jones, and Aaron O'Toole. Peyton Garcia writes our morning newsletter. Bree Davies is our host. Our music is by Los Mocochetes with additional mixing by Tyler Lindgren. If you haven't already, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at CityCast Denver and tell a friend about us the next time you see him. You can sign up for that daily newsletter I mentioned and learn more about us at denver.citycast.fm. We'll be back later in the month. Remember, taking a week off, reruns, favorite episodes. You'll enjoy them. Bye. <laughs> you want me to do that again, Paul? <laughs>